Good morning, friends. Thank you. Such a welcome greeting. Well, um, my name is Natalia. If we haven't met yet, I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here on staff at Evergreen. And it is so good to be with you this morning. Um, We have been gone for the last two Sundays. We had a team of five people that went, or six people that went to Guatemala. And um, we just had an incredible experience visiting our sponsor, Village Chicalte. So um, greetings from Chicalte. They miss you. They love you. And we're so glad that you're here this morning. Well, for those of you who don't know, we as a church partner with Food for the Hungry to sponsor a village in the northwestern region of Guatemala. And this village is named Chicalte. And so this morning, our pastors, Carlos and Ilsian, who send their greetings, they have asked me to share with you a message and updates from our sponsor village and our time there over the last nine days. And as many of you know, over the course of the last six weeks, our pastors have been sharing messages in a series called Rerouting. And in this, this series, we've really been listening to God for fresh direction in each of our lives. And in last Sunday's sermon, Carlos shared on the topic of Sabbath. The Sabbath being just this this precious cornerstone of our schedule and daily life that brings rest and redemption, something that we miss out on so much. So I just want to encourage you. I mean, I listened to that podcast on our flight back. Don't worry, I downloaded it. I was on airplane mode. Um, But it is on our website, app, Apple Podcasts. It's in the places where you listen to things. So I would recommend you go listen to it. But I have to say, as I listened to that message, it really did leave me thinking about the hustle and bustle of daily life and the needs generated by our work, our families, children, spouses, schools, sports, extracurricular activities. That's a hard word to say. There are so many needs, right? So many needs um, of our daily life. And I don't know about you, but I can find myself feeling tired and sometimes in the midst of all of it, invisible. Sometimes after a long day of work for my husband and I, um, I greet Brayden, you know, give him a big squeeze, and then I proceed to um, ask him to partner with me in uh, completing the things that we need to do in our house. So it kind of goes something like this. Hey, welcome home. So um, could you take out the garbage? But today is actually, or tomorrow is garbage day, so when you take out the kitchen garbage, could you actually, like, take the can out to the street, but then also could you take out the bathroom garbages? Oh, and you know what? I think Chester, our cat, his litter is kind of smelling, so like, do you mind taking that out too? But don't worry, don't worry. I got the kitchen and bathroom, so like you've got the good end of the stick, right, 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 right? Anyway, um, so (laughs) he, he shared with me recently that this practice I have adopted that seems like really great marital communication, right? Like we are staying on top of things. I think it's great. Like I've greeted him with love, and then I'm like, great, let's get things done. Um, He shared that this can be a little bit challenging for him sometimes. (laughs) Go figure. Um, (laughs) He shared that after a full day of work for both of us, and um, my husband is more of an introvert, so it's a long day of socializing. Um, You know, he wants to come home and then have some good food and rest resonate with that. That's fair. That's fair. So, you know, good conversation. Thanks, hon. I'm looking at him back in the sound booth, if you're wondering. Um, he, he rerouted me. I appreciate this communication we have. But in the hustle and bustle, right, have you ever felt invisible? Behind the scenes, orchestrating daily life, right, a smooth daily life, but inside feeling worn thin and tired? 
When we were in Guatemala, we had the opportunity to meet with volunteer mothers and village leaders and found that they too shared this sentiment. Years of pandemic and challenge piled on top of the burdens of daily life and life just feeling like too much sometimes. So how do we pause? How do we reset? Sometimes I believe an interruption is needed to reset. For me, I need periodic interruptions in order to reset. This could include a Sabbath or vacations, right? These things that we plan out. But for me, even more effective, you might have guessed it, are missions trips. And this morning, I'm going to share with you some of the treasures found in our missions trip to Guatemala last week. But first, I have a question for you. Have you ever been interested in serving a missions team? What has held you back? I know for me, the tension that I experience is that it can be expensive, right? We want to do things ourselves and with our families, and those things cost money, but then traveling and going to serve also costs money, and that's hard, that's a sacrifice. Maybe travel is hard, missions are hard. You might have to take time off work. You guys, the bathroom smelled weird. <laughs> I spend a lot of time, uh, you know, getting ready, and you get Guatemala tummy. We'll talk about that another time. Um, Anyway, you know, missions trips are time away from family. Maybe it'll require help with childcare. It requires a lot. So if we rewind a little bit, why do we do missions anyway? We could just send money and resources, and we get to do those things throughout the year. And of course, it's good for, to care for people, but as we said, it's also an interruption. So this morning, we're going to dig into what Jesus had to say about reaching into people's worlds and why, why we do that. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it'll be on the screen. It says, Jesus came to them, the disciples, and said, all authority, all authority on heaven and on earth, it's been given to me. Therefore, I am telling you, go out and make disciples of all nations, all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So Jesus shares these words to his disciples, his closest followers, his friends, right? On the heels of the most radical event, his resurrection, right? To the great disbelief of his followers, Jesus has actually just come back to life, and they are eagerly awaiting for his words and direction. Their hope in God has been resurrected like never before, and they wait with bated breath to find out what's next, right? What's next? Will Jesus go out and travel more and teach? Will he invite droves of people to join him in this cause? Will he proclaim God's name across the world? Will he perform more miracles? We want to see those things, right? But no. No, actually, Jesus didn't do any of those things. Jesus dramatically returns to the land of the living, and he says, okay, guys, your turn. Your turn, right? right? Can you turn to the person next to you and say, your turn, your turn. Your turn, he says. It is your turn to go out and invite the people to a life of hope and of light. It is your turn to baptize people, to join them in declaring a life renewed. It is your turn to teach them everything you have learned. And I imagine the disciples going, wait, 
What? Hang on, hang on. Like, time out, right? We're not the experts. We might have spent a few years with you, but we are not, hmm, how do we say this, God in flesh like you? So, like, you expect us to go, okay, all right, all right. And then, you know, Jesus turns around and he pieces out. He's gone. He goes to heaven to be with the Father. And yeah, he's still here with us in spirit, but he, he leaves. And the disciples are like, okay, bye, Jesus. All right, all right. So in the Mark account of this call to discipleship, or what we call the Great Commission, Jesus goes on to say that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Right? You guys have probably heard this before. So God is not calling us just to share that people are loved and invite them to church or to baptism, but to continue on and make disciples. I'm wondering what that looks like, right? And then earlier in the Gospels, Jesus teaches that for even the Son of Man, Jesus, right, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom or as payment for many, for everyone, really. So God, who came down to earth, who was worthy of being worshipped and served, he came to serve others. I find these verses challenging. And I know a lot of us have heard these before. They're familiar. Maybe you've soaked them for years. I don't know. But they're a challenging call to action. In Jesus' time on earth, he taught us so many things. But the greatest being this, loving with our words, but especially with our actions. Jesus came down to earth to teach us this, right? So for centuries, he watched generation after generation after generation of humans try to get it right. He sent us all kinds of provision and signs and care and prophets to try to help us with that process. And then finally, he came to earth to walk the earth with us to show us what does it really mean? What does it really mean to do this love in action, to love with our actions? And then after a few years of that, he left us to practice it. Missional outreach is a powerful way that we can love others in the same way that Jesus came to earth to love us. So I have a question for you. What is poverty? When I say the word poverty, what comes to mind? Or what images come to mind? Maybe it's homelessness, lacking food, money, resources, or education. Right? Those are the kinds of things that come to mind for me. The World Bank surveyed people in third world countries and impoverished communities and asked what poverty means to them. And I'm going to share with you some of their responses. So as I read these, and they'll be on the screen, I want to ask you to take note of any key words or phrases that stand out to you. For a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame, we're cripples. We're afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We're like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. That's a response from Moldova. During the past two years, we have not celebrated any holidays with others. We cannot afford to invite anyone to our house, and we feel uncomfortable visiting others without bringing a present. The lack of contact leaves one feeling depressed, creates a constant feeling of unhappiness, and a sense of low self-esteem. The poor have a feeling of powerlessness and an inability to make themselves heard. Your hunger is never satisfied. Your thirst is never quenched. You can never sleep until you're no longer tired. Do those responses surprise you? 
What stood out to you? Poor people typically talk in terms of shame, inferiority, powerlessness, humiliation, fear, hopelessness, depression, social isolation, voicelessness, not just material poverty, not just the images that come to mind for us. Poverty is many things, but it is both a material and a spiritual experience. That is poverty of resources and of spirit. So I'm going to share with you a chart that will come up on the screen that kind of describes this, um, this, this experience that we have. So if we believe that the primary cause of poverty is, for example, a lack of knowledge, then we'll primarily try to educate the poor. And then likewise, if we believe the cause of poverty is oppression by powerful people, we will work for social justice. So this chart kind of goes on and displays the different things that we generally attribute to being a cause of poverty and then the individual response that we have. But we actually find that poverty emerges when a person or a community has experienced a rupture between our relationship with God, relationship with self, relationship with others, or relationship with creation. And because of this, poverty alleviation efforts are most effective when they're multifaceted. So as you can see, when we think of loving people here, near, and far, in a holistic way, it is not just money that they need. They need to know that they're worthy. They need to know that they're seen. Here at Evergreen, our value is to engage in outreach in this way, here, near, and far. You've probably heard us say that before. So what does this model of outreach mean? In order to effectively reach others, we get to choose a few specific ways to engage the community, consistently do it, and consistently do those things with the community. This kind of consistency communicates love. So the first part, here at Evergreen, our focus is the next generation. And next week, you'll get to hear pastors Ilsian and our kids' pastor Kim share a little bit more about what this means and why we feel this is our conviction and calling. And then near in our community, we get to engage kids through community events and meeting specific needs, like providing fun and memorable activities at the Hillsboro Holidays tree lighting event that's coming up. And that gets to communicate to the community around us that kids matter. And then we also have the opportunity to put together precariously housed gift bags, which are for precariously housed students in our school district. And each year, as we come to Christmas, we get to do that for over 100 kids. And we want to invite you to consider doing that this fall. We'll, have, we'll begin putting them together in November so that we can gift them in December. And then as those precariously housed students graduate high school, we get to give them a precariously housed graduation gift, which is a special gift that says, we love you and we see you, and we know that this one gift is not going to change the circumstance, but it, it does say that we see you and that you matter, right? Many of you have helped with all these projects in the past, and we want to say thank you. Thank you for communicating love with your actions. And our FAR engagement is in Ensenada, Mexico, with Homes of Hope, where we get to send build teams to build homes for families in need. And we are looking forward to doing this again, relaunching it in October 2023, so if this is something that you're interested in, or as I'm sharing, um, you just feel a stirring, we want to ask you to pray about that, begin saving for that. It takes time to prepare for these things. We know that in order to do um, a missions trip, it might mean that you mean, need to save for it, sell, or make a sacrifice, right? We have to make choices in order to um, prepare. 
And then our fire engagement is also in Guatemala, where we partner with Food for the Hungry. And in 2014, we began this partnership with Food for the Hungry, where we committed to a village named Chicalte. It's a name you're going to hear a lot this morning. The goal of this partnership is to support Chicalte as they take steps towards sustainability. And this partnership is a four-phase development plan consisting of discovery, growth, support, and then finally, seeing them flourish. More information about these phases will be up on the screen in just a minute, so you are welcome to snap a photo if you want. Food for the Hungry states that we believe that poverty is complex and ever-changing. We believe that ending poverty requires more than just providing raw resources. Our approach is holistic, meaning that we seek to end all forms of human poverty by addressing a person's entire life. Our solutions for programmatic development address the physical, spiritual, and relational needs of vulnerable people. And now we can um, show that image that talks a little bit more about the different phases. It's small, you can take a picture, we can show it later. Um, so during these phases, the areas of focus are health and nutrition, education, livelihood, institutional strengthening, and risk reduction. And Food for the Hungry functions with something called CFCT, which is child-focused community transformation. So you see, in Guatemala, there was a civil war from 1960 to 1996 between the government of Guatemala and various rebel groups. That was pretty recent. The village of Chicalte, though very, very far from um, the highly populated areas, was impacted by the civil war, and they were eventually forced to actually leave um, their home area and retreat deep into the mountains and hide in caves or really anywhere that they could hide until their area was no longer an area experiencing strife. And then when they returned to the village in the 90s, just a few years ago, it feels like a few years ago, Anyway, when they returned to the village in the 90s, Pedro, we have a picture of him, he was made the first mayor because as they returned, they discovered that he was the only person who could write. And now, Pedro is a proud champion and supporter of the new village leaders and the next generation. In our partnership with Chicalte, we get to be a light of faith and hope. A friend that says, I'm sorry for what you've experienced and I can't imagine what you've been through. And a friend that will not only sends money and resources, but people and help. There are many incredible organizations that we can give to or engage with, right? The conviction we have here at Evergreen, though, is to, to go and serve the community, to physically go there, right? And so that's why we call our missions teams go teams. You're going to hear that phrase. I know some of the, you of you, I said, I know that some of you may be new to Evergreen or honestly not interested in missions, right? Maybe the pandemic has you saying, that, that was enough adventure for me, right? <laughs> that was enough. <laughs> and I just want to invite you to consider what could happen if we sent two teams a year to Guatemala and three teams a year to Mexico, Homes of Hope. What would happen if we not only put our money where our mouth is, but if we put our schedule where our mouth is? What would happen if we put love in action? Imagine what could happen if we brought kids and students to Guatemala and Mexico so that they can see world needs and perspective beyond their own. Imagine if you gave towards someone's missions trip to allow them to go, like some of you did for me. What if you brought a pre-Christian friend along and showed them this kind of love in action? 
What if, what if you went? I want to share with you some experiences we had last week in Chicolte. So the first two and the last two days of this nine-day trip are travel. Day one is really seven to eight hours of flights, and then the next day it's seven to eight hours of a windy, long, beautiful, slightly sickening drive that is just amazing from Guatemala City to Neba. Neba is the closest small town to Chicolte, and I believe we have a map. So um, at the bottom, the dot that you see that says Guatemala, that's Guatemala City. And then we get to drive up to that pin near Huehuetenango, and that is Neba. So that is where we stay. And on this trip, um, we had a, the opportunity to visit a handful of sponsored children, as well as visit homes that were benefited by the chickens and stoves that you guys fundraised for last fall. So it was so cool to see these projects that you made happen. And then we also got to host a VBS for the kids each day. And usually we would physically help with building a project like um, a classroom or a medical clinic or something like that. But since we got to give towards these projects last fall and they were still experiencing some COVID closures and precautions, they went ahead and started the projects. And we're so glad that they did because it means that the community got to begin benefiting from them. And we got to come and see how they're going, how it was going. So as we visited families benefited by the chicken project, we learned the power of chompi pollos. Can you say chompi pollos? Chompi pollos. I really enjoyed saying that word. <laughs> so um, pollos in Spanish is chicken, right? So chompi pollos, when I hear chompi pollos, I think, man, this is like some beefy chicken. We've got a big chicken over here, right? And as it turns out, chompi pollos are a breed of chickens that are hardy. They can be fed a variety of foods and thrive, and they're great for both eggs and meat. There are about 120 families in Chicolte, and nearly every one of them got to benefit from the chicken project. Can we celebrate that? That's so good. So before each family received the chompies, they were asked to come attend a class, um, or multiple classes actually, to learn about the chickens, how to care for them, how to feed them. And then they were also asked to build um, the chicken pen um, with their own resources. And this really empowered them and showed them that you don't have to have all the money in the world to build a fancy chicken coop. You can utilize what you have or reuse something or get something from your neighbor. And we, it, it allowed the project to become more accessible and allow them to see, we, we can do this ourselves. I can do this myself. I have what I need. Um, so it was cool that even as a part of what you gave, also empowered them to show them that they're, they're capable. Um, these families are responsible for supplying their own feed for the chickens, and the families utilize any mixture of milled corn, whole corn, chicken feed, herbs and plants from the garden, their gardens, and a plant called Santa, Cat Santa Catarina, and I have not been able to find a photo of it, so I'm sorry. Um, but families are encouraged to feed the chickens however they can, and because of this, it makes it sustainable. We're not coming in and saying, you need to have money to buy chicken feed, these chickens are amazing in that they can eat all kinds of things, and so the families are encouraged to feed them however they can. And then the families have the freedom to choose how they want to utilize the chickens. Do they want to eat the eggs and eat the chicken once? They, it takes about a year and a half for a chompi pollo to be fully grown. Do they want to do that? Do they want to sell some eggs? Do they want to keep some, sell some, right? Any combination of those things, the families are empowered to choose how to use them. 
And then when the jumpy pollos are fully grown, they're encouraged to sell the full-grown chicken and with the proceeds buy five more chicks. And this is what allows this chicken project to be sustainable, even when eventually the community graduates from our partnership and we're no longer there to um, help them get more chickens. They can take these steps themselves. During the first year of the pandemic, we discovered that, the Gu that Guatemala actually had police-enforced curfews. And the village families and leaders shared that if something like COVID ever happened again, they are so great for the Trumpoyos because it would have allowed them to have this sustainable source of protein and food um, right in their own backyard. And when they had these curfews um, that, of course, were um, for, their, for their safety, um, it meant that they couldn't find, go out to Neva. Neva is that closest city, right? The one that we stay in, it's 45 minutes away. They couldn't go there. They couldn't get provisions. All that they had were their gardens, um, maybe people in the community who grow corn, maybe some people who already had chickens. So anyway, they were so grateful uh, for this project that you guys have allowed to, make, allowed to um, happen from your support. So next, we visited home with stoves, and we have, so, we have a picture of a home with a stove. Um, that is um, Doña Lu Luisa. And um, we got to see how the stoves have been working for families. So in these visits, we got to learn about why these stoves are so helpful and important. And it's really for two things. It's for their physical um, health and for their safety um, in their environment. So physical health, I mean, they used to cook with open fires in their homes. And you can kind of see um, in that picture, if we can pop it back up, there um, next to some kittens, there is like ash on the ground. And um, that's where that home previously had like a fire pit in their house. And I was surprised four years ago, the first time I went to Guatemala, that you walk into someone's home and there's quite literally just like a fire in the middle of their house. And I know that doesn't sound that crazy, but when you walk in and you're like, what happens if this fire goes out of control? What happens if your kiddo like gets too close? What happens if, right? Like there's all of these like, what if, what if, like, whoa, it's so different. Um, and getting to have these stoves is of course safer. So they can cook food on top of them. They're more efficient because um, two logs will actually fuel the stove and heat their home for a whole day. And the fires consume so much more wood. And as some of you may know, um, some of these families in Chicalte, the husbands have left in search for work. Whether they've left to other parts of Guatemala or maybe to the States, um, but that means that there are women and children and families that do not have support or financial support or even just, right, the support of your spouse. So this woman was sharing that she was especially grateful for the efficiency of the stoves because it's something that she can do herself and still provide for her children and care for her family. She also said that there was another woman, um, we have another picture of a woman with a stove and water filter, um, and she shared that she was especially grateful for, her, grateful for her stove for all of the reasons mentioned, but also because the walls of her home weren't turning black anymore, and her clothes didn't smell like smoke anymore. Previously, she had to replace the wood boards on the walls of their home as they were damaged by smoke. So this is another way that um, a family was grateful for the way that, um, you know, they were kept safe, but also that it meant they weren't having to replace materials in their home as much. And then we had the opportunity to visit some home gardens. Do we have any gardeners out here? Are you preparing for a bountiful harvest or maybe it was killed by the summer suns? My condolences, I don't know. <laughs> 
The gardens and chickens um, were especially helpful as many women do not have the opportunity to work. And with the gardens, the women can feed their family, sell the excess, and do the same with chickens. And we have a picture of a woman named Petrona who was so proud of her garden. Some of the giving that Evergreen did and through Food for the Hungry um, meant that she got seeds for broccoli, cauliflower, and Swiss chard, and Food for the Hungry taught her how to care for these plants. And then at the end of her harvest in the spring, um, it was so abundant that she sold the excess and purchased seeds and seedlings for more cauliflower, cabbage, rosemary, and cilantro, and carrots and radishes. Petrona shared that she loves gardening because it gives her a sense of purpose and a connection to God's creation. Any of you outdoorsies relate to that connection to God's creation? She was especially excited about her medicinal herbs and even borrows a plot of land next to her home to grow more. She has her garden fenced off to keep animals out, but was so excited to show her work that she actually asked me to come into her garden. And so she pulled the wires of the fence edge from her house and we crept through the hole into her garden. And then she walked me around her garden and showed me every head of Swiss chard and every crown of broccoli and cauliflower because she was so proud and they were thriving. Now, if we had a, uh, you may have seen in the garden picture um, that their plants are smaller right now. That's because in Guatemala, their growing season is almost the opposite of ours. Their rainy season is May to August. So um, these plants that we saw are just beginning to grow. She was also super excited to share that she recently um, harvested beans in one of her gardens, which meant that the soil there would now be nitrogen rich. And, um, and then she's composting organic material from her home. And so she knows that um, she is caring for her soil and can plant more um, crops and that they're going to flourish in this rich soil. And each day, our team got to visit sponsored children. Due to some pandemic precautions, we visited fewer homes than in the past, but each team member had the opportunity to meet their sponsored children, and we also got to visit a few other of your sponsor kids. And this spring, when our church, when Evergreen, had the opportunity to sponsor a new batch of sponsored children, Brayden and I had the opportunity to say yes to our first sponsor child, named Maria Lux Guzman. And last week, I got to meet her. All week, I found myself looking for little Maria. I wondered if I saw her, would I recognize her from the photos? And gosh, how could I possibly communicate to her in my broken Spanish how much we love her, how much she is prayed for, how much she matters? The way that I felt reminded me of the way that, of how I felt when I first met my husband. And, you know, that sense of like wondering when you'll see him. You get the butterflies, like all of this curiosity, right? This exciting experience. Well, I finally got to meet Maria on Wednesday, and as we got close to her home, I realized that my heart was beating so fast, so fast. Like, when someone asks you to come up on stage and share something, you're like, ah, what am I going to share? Please don't ask me to do that. Like, that kind of fast, right? And then my hands were shaking. I was so nervous and excited and overwhelmed. And I was just wondering and thinking, like, for this sweet little four-year-old, what must it have been like to have a gringa walk into her house and say, we love you, we've been praying for you, we're so excited to meet you. And Maria was so sweet. Her family was so sweet. We got to meet her and her mom and her grandma and her, her brother who's six, and Maria is four. 
And as I, asked, as I got to ask Maria questions and hope to get to know her and her family, I felt myself melt inside. I felt a new kind of purpose. My husband and I don't have kids yet, but Maria lives in a special place in my heart. And it was then that I really began to realize what Food for the Hungry is all about and why we do this. Because people matter. And these little lives, these kids, they matter. And getting to go there in person communicates that they matter. These trips, these opportunities to go visit in person, they matter not because of the projects we do, and those are important, or even the money that we send, but because of the relationships. And because our presence communicates that we see them, that they matter, and that they matter so much that we would take time out of our lives and out of our work, away from our families, and spend money and time to come see them. Because they are precious to us, and they're precious to God. We have a um, little video I want to share with you from one of our team members, Julie. Uh, she wanted to share from Hello Evergreen, my name is Julie and I am grateful for the recent opportunity to visit Guatemala with the team. My favorite part of the trip was meeting my Food for the Hungry sponsor child and her mom and being able to communicate with them through a photo book and a translator. I loved the physical in-person meeting where we could share a hug and a smile. My love for them grew instantly. The people of Chicalte are full of smiles and joy. I appreciate the way they do more with less. The community sets goals together uh, to prioritize their resources, and then they work together to accomplish their goals. There was a common theme of gratitude to Evergreen from everyone we met in Chicalte, from the welcome ceremony where the leaders express gratitude for the impact our support has made to every single home visit. I also loved the time that we were able to spend with the children each day. We shared God's love for them with a Bible verse, a skit, and an activity. We were able to love the children through activities and share God's love. Can we say thank you to Julie and thank you to our team? Bruce is over here. And we um, have some other team members too, Lori, Roger, Joan. We want to thank the team. And how beautiful was that video? Julie, I mean, many of our team members, they came home and turned around and they had things to do, family to see. Um, a couple had a family reunion and they turned around and left. Julie is out camping in that beautiful video. I used to think that the calling of God's people, the calling of all of us, was to bring Jesus where he wasn't already. And the first time that I went to Chicalte, I discovered that God is so much bigger than I could have imagined, so much greater than I understood. And I realized that God was already in Chicalte. God's always been in Chicalte. Our part is that we get to go there and show them that they are loved and that they matter with our presence. And some of you know my story. I was invested in by the church, by some of you, when I was young, and it changed my life. Our conviction of investing in the next generation here at Evergreen extends all the way out into missions. While it may be a challenge, because as you know, investing in kids takes time. It takes time for us to grow up. It takes time and mistakes and a lot of grace. Thank you. <laughs> 
It takes time, but you know what? It provides sustainable results. And that's what we're getting to see in this village now, eight years after partnering with them. And I wanna thank you, Evergreen, for being a generous church who loves the next generation. And I wanna ask you to pray and to consider ways that you can serve the next generation and people here, near, and far. I wanna invite the band up, and we'll be preparing for communion in a moment. I wanna ask you, what is a need that you see in your community or the world around you? And you find yourself maybe making excuses for why we, you can't address it right now. What is that need that keeps you up at night, that thing, that burden in your heart? What is it that you keep saying to yourself, I'll do that later, I'll do that later. I'll do that when my kids are older. I'll do that when we make more money. I'll do that when we have time. I'll do that when. If it's missions, I would love to talk. But maybe it's not, and that's okay. And whatever it is, we know that God came down to earth to serve, right? And Jesus said that if we go out and invite people to know the love of Jesus and invite them to walk with us and engage love in action, we will be saved. Because for Jesus, caring for people was the hinging point of spending eternity with him. Who is it that God is calling you to serve? Who is it? Or what is that calling? I believe if you follow this calling, this yearning in your soul, you might just find yourself refreshed. So what if we, as a church, followed our unique, individual, and communal calling to serve and showed the world around us what it means to be a follower of Jesus? What if you decided to spend some of your vacation in Guatemala? I feel the heartbeat of a church that loves deeply, that loves with action, that says, come and see who Jesus is. And in a couple of weeks, as we get to launch small groups, we want to invite you to consider who you're going to connect with, who the people are that you're going to link arms and love them and the community around you. To live out love as an action. We're going to wrap today um, with communion. So... I'm going to invite you to grab your communion elements. If you don't have any, yes, raise your hand. Thank you, uh, greeters and seeders, for helping get those. We can pull off that top layer. I hear you doing that. Well, God, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for showing us life and love as an action. We want to thank you that even in the midst of hardship, in the midst of a great need, that you came to earth to show us this kind of love in action. And as we take the bread, your body broken, we recognize that you chose sacrifice for us. You chose to enter into the pain and the brokenness of the world for our good. And as we take the cup, we remember his, his blood that was spilled. A sacrifice and a choice, right? The hardest choice ever. He made the hardest choice ever and the greatest sacrifice we've ever seen for our God, for our good. And so God, we want to thank you for the sacrifice that you've made. 
to atone for, to pay for our sins. Today we stop and thank you for that. And we're gonna sing and celebrate you today. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. Thank you for all that you do, God.